Hello from the 2018 Equal Justice Conference in San Diego, California. I'm Kimberly Sanchez. And I'm John Pollock. And I'm Andrew Scherer. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. I'm particularly excited about this panel because the workshop that we're going to be talking about that you all just presented in um, had a very interesting name. Who named this workshop? I did. Oh, John, you're so fun. I'm going to tell everybody, all the listeners, about what that particular workshop was and because it's super exciting. Civil Rights to Counsel in the Trump Era, Protecting Vulnerable Communities... Uh, from fines, deportation, increased inequity, and more. Yeah. And more. That's right. I think I used all the ink from the printer on that one. <laughs> I think that you did. Tell me about this workshop, how it was created, and what it is about. Well, the right to counsel in civil cases is a movement we've been working on for a long time, and it's a movement that has seen some uh, additional challenges posed by the Trump administration uh, policies on things like mass deportation, um, increased incarceration, uh, mass incarceration, and and in other areas as well. And so we wanted to bring some experts to talk about how is this work, what is this work doing right now, how, what gains have we made, and what new challenges are we facing in trying to establish a right to counsel in these areas um, as a result of new Trump administration policies. And John, tell me who you are and where you're from. Uh, I am John Pollock. I am a staff attorney with the Public Justice Center who coordinates the National Coalition for Civil Right to Counsel. The Public Justice Center is in Maryland, but I live in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, that's like the site of all of the civil rights stuff. It is. It's yeah. a good place to be right now. It really is. Mm -hmm. All right. And who else is on our panel? So I'm Andrew Scherer. I'm the policy director of the Impact Center for Public Interest Law at New York Law School. Okay. Well, that sounds like a really exciting um, <coughs> workshop. So, tell me what happened at your workshop, and what did you? What, what were the takeaways? Well, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention our other two amazing co-panelists, uh, Lisa Foster, who is uh, formerly of the Department of Justice, um, ran the Access to Justice office there, and is now um, starting a new organization on fees and fines, and Ahilan Arul. Ahrul Anathan, uh, who is with the ACLU of Southern California and is one of the lead attorneys um, litigating the right to counsel in immigration court. Okay. And so why is this topic particularly important to the access to justice community? The access to justice community has long been interested in expanding access to justice in a meaningful way. And frankly, unless, unless there's a right to counsel in civil matters, it's always going to, the access to the courts in a meaningful way is always going to be very limited. And this is a movement that has long been fighting in many different ways, through legislative measures, through litigation, through policy changes, to try to uh, secure a right to counsel, not simply more funding, not simply expansion of legal services programs, but actually shifting the power dynamic and creating a right. Just to add to that, you know, the, it, the reason why it needs to be a right is because a right makes it something that can't and just And what are simply, we talking about? What needs to be a right? Ah, yes. A right to access counsel in various kinds of civil cases. So the work huh. we do... Uh, like we do with the public defender. We're talking about like in a civil... Oh. Yes. Okay. And in fact, in... Uh, 
in many states, there is a right to counsel in every state in some civil matters. That may be a surprise to some people who are listening that every state provides a right to counsel in some areas like um, civil commitment of people with mental health issues, um, when people's children are taken away by the state. These are areas that most states provide a right to counsel, and actually the public defenders handle those matters often. Um, they do civil representation already. That's something that's, again, not widely known. Um, but then there are other areas that are extremely important, like immigration, like domestic violence, like housing, where either we don't have a right to counsel at all, or only one or two states have that right, or um, in, in this case of housing, New York City alone as of last year. And so we're doing the work to try to bring those rights everywhere so that we have a comprehensive access to justice system. But I think most people believe that there is a right to counsel in civil matters. There have been studies that have shown that. Intuitively, people think, oh, you're going to lose custody of your kids, you're going to lose your home, and it's going to happen as a result of a decision made in a court of law. There must be a right to have an attorney represent you when there are complex legal issues that are going to be confronted, and a judge in his or her black robe sitting at the in the center of the court making a decision about your life. People believe intuitively that there is a right to counsel, but in fact, it's very limited. 1963, we had Gideon decide in criminal matters, the Supreme Court decided in Gideon v. Wainwright that there would be a right to counsel in criminal matters. And since then, civil matters have really been decided on a case-by-case basis on a state level or a local jurisdiction level through litigation and court decisions or through legislative efforts, but it's really very, very limited in the civil sphere, and we're working very hard to assure that people actually have a right to representation when they can't afford counsel and when there are issues that the courts are deciding that are fundamental to their survival and existence. Mm -hmm. So um, civil Gideon, not a thing yet, needs to be, is what we're saying, right? Um, But also your presentation is about what are what is happening in the Trump era. Is there something different here that is happening well, so, that we need to pay attention to? Yeah. So, I mean, the, even before Trump, you know, deportation, for instance, was a big problem. But the Trump administration has really increased the rate of deportation, has separated families from children, which is something that even the prior administration was not doing. Um, the need for counsel is just increasing over time. And the resistance from the administration to anything like providing counsel is just greater and greater um, and really necessitating trying to get this decision from a court saying there is this right. It's, a, it's you know, regardless of what the Trump administration wants to do, it's a constitutional right. Um, and then in some of the other areas we work in, um, there's, you know, um, the Obama administration had said, you know, when it comes to like civil forfeiture, you know, seizing assets of people who are charged with crimes, this is a process that's not working, it's not fair to people. And then when the administration changed, um, AG Sessions basically said civil forfeiture is fantastic, we need more of it, um, even though people don't get counsel before their assets are taken. Um, and the other areas we work in are similar. Where the policies coming from the federal government are increasing the injustice, especially in light of the lack of counsel. So counsel is one of the ways to try to remedy that, you know, that injustice. And the Trump administration has, I think, resulted in a very interesting phenomenon at the local level because the, the, the fact that we have a 
leader of the country who is not particularly interested, not indicating any interest really in the rights of low-income people, has led to a situation where the localities are actually really taking the issues on. And I think there's a kind of a uh, an atmosphere and a mentality that's developed is we have to distinguish ourselves from what's happening in the body politic at the national level. And so at the local level, we're actually seeing really important progressive change where there we have a, 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 an amazingly, you know, rapidly growing right to counsel movement around eviction cases. New York was the first jurisdiction in the United States to enact legislation that would guarantee low income people Council when they face losing their homes. Remarkable to me that it took until 20, 2017, it happened last summer, for this to happen. But now San Francisco's got a referendum on this next month. Newark is, the mayor of Newark announced that he was introducing legislation, and probably at least a dozen other cities, if not more, are having discussions, have legislation in the works. So you're seeing, I think, very much as a result of the reaction to the federal government and the direction the federal government is taking a kind of a local level re-examination of how low-income people, people of color, are being treated in the, in, the, in the legal system. And it's actually having very positive results at the very local level, you know, whether this can translate into something happening at the federal level remains to be seen, but it's, it's, it's a very important advance in human rights, really fundamental civil rights and human rights. Yeah. That's very interesting yeah, to hear. Yeah. It's very uh, exciting. Actually. It, is, it actually is very exciting. What was sort of the response from the audience as they're, you guys are talking about this kind of thing? Are there good examples or people just like, what is going on here? This is amazing. We were hoping for that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, uh, this audience at the Equal Justice Conference is familiar with a lot of these issues. They they may not be as aware of all the right to counsel um, aspects of it. And I think, you know, one of the things we talked about at the uh, panel was the fact that the in the in the in um, this case, the litigation around the right to counsel and immigration um, for kids, the government's um, attorney, this government had an expert. Um, that basically said, um, I can teach immigration law to a three-year-old and they don't need a lawyer. Um, and I think that's not necessarily something everyone's heard that happened. And that, you know, cons that was probably a surprise to some people to hear about that. I mean, that's, a, you know, interesting. Yes, and it was an immigration... <laughs> trying to find a word here. <laughs> it was an that. immigration judge, actually. A, Shocking. A, a former, probably yes. the word, right? Oh yeah. my! And he said it in a deposition. He said, "You know, I can train a three-year-old to represent themselves. It's not easy, but they can do it. And and uh, you know, thirty-year-olds can't be trained to represent themselves in immigration law. The idea of a, a three-year-old is is you know beyond the pale." But I mean, John that, Oliver did an episode on this, so your listeners, oh, yes. your listeners can can look mm -hmm. that up and and watch it. It's it's shocking. It's I mean, that's an interesting. Like that's a a, a pretty broad disrespect of you know, what attorneys do and what the rule of law means and do we see and that that's happening? it's a complete perversion of the human, you know, like some understanding of the human condition. It's like, can you really seriously maintain that a child of five years old or four years old can adequately advance their, protect their own interests in an administrative hearing or in a quasi-judicial type proceeding? No way. So what are we, what is the message that you guys had, this panel had for the audience that here at the Equal Justice Conference, who are a bunch of uh, people that are really interested in advancing these kinds of issues? 
I think the first thing is to make them aware of how much is happening. The, the right to counsel movement has really, really accelerated, taken a lot of, um, a lot has had significant advancements in housing, and and we there was an earlier case in immigration that was one about litigants with mental illness, and we've had some really significant gains. And I think the point was a to make them aware of that, and b make them also understand that that certain changes at the federal level mean that our work has gotten harder in some ways, but that there is, as Andy was saying, some local exciting reaction to that, staking out a position at the local level as a reaction, and that right to counsel is part of that reaction. Um, that may not be something that people are aware of that, you know, when they hear, they may hear about sanctuary cities, but they may not hear about access to counsel, which is what a lot of cities are now starting to do um, as a response to these new immigration policies. But what I would add to that is I think that the message that we want to convey to people is be bold. You know, this is a system that has for long been broken. The courts that deny people access to counsel simply because they can't afford it, where there are complex legal issues that ultimately are going to result in people's people losing their homes, losing custody of their kids, dealing with incredibly traumatic and difficult issues that are going to affect their lives forever. The justice system needs to be an even playing field for people. And it's so fundamental. And I think people in this crowd, you know, this is a legal services equal justice crowd, believe that, but I think it's very easy to be caught up in sort of the, the moment and the issues of the moment and not have this long-term vision for where the justice system needs to go and to be bold and really advocate for that. I think that's the lesson that, that we, you know, I think that's a takeaway from what we were able to accomplish mm -hmm. in New York right. City. And like the, the, kind of the mission, I think what I'm hearing is, civil Gideon should be a thing. It is right? a thing. That's actually it, it, the message. Yeah. It's not should be. It's that, it's that as a movement, it already is. Um, it, as a, we just need to codify it. Yes. Right? We All just need to, but it's, we've it. already done some of it. That's the idea, is that some of the rights to counsel are already in place because of the work that's been done. We have a long way to go, but we are not at zero either. And I, I, I think civil Gideon is sort of a, a misnomer in a way. I think people love that term. No, lawyers love that it. term because they understand what that means. But lay people don't really. And so we call it a civil right to counsel because it is fundamentally a civil right, and people understand that. Gideon is kind of code language in the lawyer clubhouse, and that's not a useful The lawyer term. clubhouse. And it's I like would add Mickey to, Mouse clubhouse. it's uh -huh. not the way we're going about, we're not trying to get a right to counsel across the board all at one time. This is a, this is a you know, incremental approach, state by state, issue by issue, and th we want people to understand that because they, if they think it's, if it's too aggressive, if they think it's trying to go too fast, they may not see it as a reality, as a realistic approach. This is a much more nuanced way to tackle the issue. Fant yeah, fantastic. You guys are fantastic. And I think that our listeners will be very interested in contacting you. So let's talk about how we do that. Uh, first of all, our website, civilrighttocouncil.org, um, is where all the information you could ever hope to find is. I, you can reach me at uh, uh, jpollock at publicjustice.org uh, and also through the website. And you can reach me at New York Law School at A. Scherer, A-S-C-H-E-R-E-R, -E -R, at N-Y-L-S, 
www.edu.edu. And if you want to learn about the work that we did in New York, I'm part of a broad coalition of grassroots activists and labor and faith leaders, and we have a right to counsel nyc.org website with anything you might want to know about our work to win a right to counsel for tenants in New York City. Well, civil right to counsel, I mean, I think that's the next step in the access to justice question. I appreciate both of you being here. Um, We've reached the end of the road for today, and I want to thank both of you for joining our guests. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please find and rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road, the Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh